Welcome to Passages Voice. This episode was originally recorded as part of the digital speaker series, where we meet famous leaders in the church, business, and politics to discuss faith and leadership. To learn more, visit the Passages Leaders Network or follow us on social media at Passages Israel. Enjoy. Um, I am a native of Texas, actually born in Arkansas, but both of my parents are Texans and was really blessed to grow up in Texas. I grew up in a Christian home. I attribute um, my relationship to Christ and actually a lot of the great things that have happened to me in my life to praying great grandparents, grandparents, parents. I just was very, very fortunate that way. So um, I've traveled a lot of meandering places in my life, but I really sort of feel like Christ has always been with me. And I married a Virginian, and thus we have built our married life in the state of Virginia. We have. So I was born in Richmond, Virginia, and went through uh, high school uh, finally in, in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, I ended up going to school in Texas, of all places, and uh, I might as well, Good I needed place. a passport to get there, um, and uh, so it was a great adventure for me, and I loved it, and I fell in love with Texas, and fell in love with the Texan, uh, and so that was a fabulous uh, discovery that I didn't expect when I originally went to Texas. Um, we moved to Boston. Uh, I went first, and then convinced Suzanne to marry me and come to Boston for grad school, which was just a really exciting time and we were coming out of grad school we were trying to pick where to go and there was some good opportunities in Virginia but I think also we felt like it was a place where we actually had a little bit of uh, foundation and so we've been here I will say a little bit on our journey which I think is uh, very noteworthy for us is we we were in London for six years during this time uh, we moved from Washington for six years or Virginia and lived in London, and it was just a spectacularly great time for us as a couple, because it was a great challenge. Um, we also stumbled across a church called Holy Trinity Brompton, or HTB, and it became such an important part of our lives, and it's just been this ongoing uh, gift, uh, blessing for so long. And so we didn't expect that when we went to London, and we were just thrilled when we got there and fell, fell into this family of HTB, which has had a big impact on us for a long time. Last thing I would say, I, I feel like my journey has been a series of three M's. Um, so first was mentors. We can talk about that later, but I've just had great mentors in my life who were both um, incredibly faith-filled, but also very caring mentors uh, in various stages of my life. Second were big moments. Uh, where my faith was very much um, inspired or rekindled or reaffirmed. And third is marriage. Uh, and we'll talk a lot about that. But I think I looked through my entire life and, and out of all of the things that have, I think, changed me and influenced me was that uh, God had a life partner in mind. And when we finally met one another, it's just been uh, really cool. So there you go. So the three M's. I love that. What a great story. I think that's, uh, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, you'll have a lot of students on the call today, maybe those who are still in school or just graduated that are in that phase of who am I going to marry? Who am I going to spend the rest of my life with? And so I think today's 
conversation is going to be something unique that we haven't shared yet on a, one of these digital speaker series. And so uh, jumping right into this next question here, one thing you share in common with our audience today is a, is a trip to Israel. Um, we have a lot of, obviously, our, that's what we do is we take trips to Israel. And uh, would you share your favorite memory of Israel when you were there? Well, why don't I start just, we've, we've, we have one common uh, love, which is this trip to Israel, and many of you might have been more than once. Uh, it was completely life-changing for me, life-changing. And I say that because I think so many things we had always read about uh, or seen on TV, and, it, and, and Jesus's time in the Holy Land and, and the, the, the place of Israel uh, in the Old Testament, it all seemed almost a little uh, beyond reality. And when you have right. a chance to wander around where he wandered around, and you have a chance to see um, not just, of course, where he was crucified and buried and rose again, but um, how he lived his life. But on top of that, just the history of, of the Jews through, through Israel, it was absolutely uh, life-changing for me. My very favorite part of our whole uh, trip to Israel was being baptized in the River Jordan. It was really cool. Um, and I think what was most interesting about it, the trip we were on, we, we were about 50% uh, Christians. No, it was about a third. Of about a third, third of third. Well, I don't know if there's that many. Well, okay. I should qualify. It was two-thirds uh, Protestants and Catholics. Yes, there we go. Which then, I would, bump, I'll put in the Christian bucket. And, well, okay. no, yeah, correct. <laughs> I, I, I've ba I backtracked quickly, and then and then about a third. about a, about a third of folks who really had a very a very sincere Jewish faith and practice. And mm -hmm. um, we did have one Muslim couple with us as well. And so the when we group. we got to go to Jewish sites together, and we went to the Christian sites and together, and we enjoyed all and the Muslim sites, and we enjoyed all of this as a group. And so we went to the River Jordan to be baptized. And I'll never forget this, that our fr new friends, who we hadn't met really before this trip, actually wanted to come and watch us be baptized <clears throat> in the River Jordan. And then the question they asked me particularly was, well, what happened? What did it feel like? Uh, what, and the, the idea that there was this great moment where we had a chance to talk about John the Baptist and... And, um, you know, this is my son of, of whom I'm proud. And to really talk about Jesus with our, with our new Jewish friends was really awesome. So anyway, that was my favorite time. Yeah, and again, just to reiterate, and thank you, Scott, and your team for what you've dedicated your lives to, which is basically providing an opportunity for people who are on this call, um, either aspirationally, they want to be with you, or they have had the privilege of being with you in the Holy Land. We can't thank you enough for that. I agree with Glenn, it was wonderful. My personal favorite moment was praying um, at the Stone of Anointing, which is in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, right there in Jerusalem. Yeah. It is a red-ish colored slab. Um, on which they say that Jesus's body was laid after the crucifixion to be prepared for burial. And you can actually touch it. It's cool to mm. the touch. And um, we each were just able to lay our hands on it and our heads mm -hmm. on it. And it, I mean, I'll cry just talking about it. It was very, very moving. 
and um, and yeah, it was beautiful. I, lo I love that particular place because it is it's a place where billions of Christ followers over the la over you know fifteen hundred years or how you know however long you know it's been uncovered and been you know available to the public. Uh, have have been there to worship God at that place. That's why I think it's so powerful, right? Obviously, the fact that, you know, the idea that Jesus uh, would have been laid on it, but then, you know, the billions of followers of Christ who've been there to worship and tears have fallen. And, you know, it's, I agree with you. I think that's incredible. That's great. Um, so you've both had tremendous success and served in a variety of leadership positions. How did you both know what God was calling you to both personally and professionally? So this is, this is a tough question because how to know where you're being called requires you to be, to, to listen. <laughs> and I have to say in my own uh, journey, I haven't always been a great listener. Uh, and uh, go back to my three M's, um, marriage was one of the most important moments where I learned to be a better listener. Um, and I don't know, there was just a, between the, the development of my own faith and the, I guess the comfort and, and companionship that having the right life partner meant, I learned to be a much better listener. And that was an, that was also a really important ingredient to, to being married. Um, but I also think it helped me, um, listen when in my own prayer life a lot, lot better. So, you know, throughout there's moments where you all of a sudden find yourself asking, uh, Lord, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I going where you want me to go? Am I fulfilling the mission or the plan that you have had in mind for me? Um, and I just think we have to constantly ask that question. But one of the big realizations is that when you don't hear something back, it doesn't mean you're wrong. Um, it just, it actually can mean, yes, you're in the right place. You're doing what I want you to do. And I have to say that that's been one of the real, uh, I'd say, learnings in my own spiritual walk, which is uh, he doesn't always knock you off your horse. Uh, he sometimes, um, in quietness, reaffirms what you're doing. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, a great um, uh, chaplain leader, a guy named Henry Blackaby, and Henry's been a, been a great writer, but I had a chance to be in a prayer group with Henry for a while. And Henry had a really wise statement. Somebody asked him one day, well, Henry, um, how do I know what, what the Lord wants me to do? And Henry said, well, is he telling you to do something different? And this particular person said, no, Henry, he's not. And he said, well, then keep doing what you're doing and wait till he tells you to do something Pretty different. Simple. Yeah. And, and so I, I do think we spend a lot of time um, wringing our hands over, I feel like I should be making a change, but I'm not hearing a calling directly. And I think that all gets back to, don't be anxious, be patient. Um, in my own life, I will tell you, I didn't mention this up front, I've worked for the same company for 25 years. Um, so when I got out, of, got out of business school, I went, to, I went to work for a consulting firm, a fabulous one that is, I felt really honored to go work for. But a year in, it just wasn't, feeling like it was a great fit and great counsel from from Suzanne and I ended up coming to work for the Carlisle group where I am now and over the course of 25 years uh, there's been lots of time where I've said well should I continue to stay here should I and 
it's always been reaffirmed to me at moments, well, I've got a new challenge for you at Carlisle I want to hold out for you. And so I just think it's a matter of praying and listening and not jumping to conclusions and asking that, that very important question, Lord, is that you I'm hearing or is it me I'm hearing? Um, mm -hmm. I think we have to just wait sometimes on him. That's good. Yeah, and I would just encourage um, young people the same way. I think, you know, I started thinking about this and in my personal experience and I think in our married experience, God has not spoken to us in storms. You know, we think of this lightning bolt moment where his voice rings out and that has not been our experience. We've traveled along a journey and we've felt his presence and his encouragement or sometimes his silence, um, but it's been quiet. It's been very uh, reassuring. It's been very kind to us. And um, I just think uh, your walk with God can be accumulation of little things, small little things. It doesn't have to be a yeah. huge aspirational endeavor that creates angst. So just draw close to God, and I think he'll, he'll yeah. reach you. Yeah, Scott, no, I'll tell you, and I right. know you're going to move on, but I, I, I no, will tell you, it. it's, but when he is speaking to you, you'll know. Yeah. And it's interesting, the, the, you know, I had, uh, I had an experience that dragged on for three or four years that I knew he was really calling me to do something, and I didn't want to do it. And I have a gentleman who I've been blessed with for the last now 14 years <clears throat> to have kind of a biweekly uh, prayer relationship with for a long time. And by the way, he's one of my mentors. Um, and to have that kind of um, I don't know, intimacy uh, with somebody, he's slightly older than me and he's just been a dear best friend for a long time. And we prayed over this, over this um, clear, clear, clear message that I was getting <laughs> to do something. And I would say, well, you know, and I'd constantly make excuses. And one day, my, this mentor um, said to me, Glenn, we've been friends for a while, and I'm just going to ask you, what are you going to do when you're standing there with St. Peter? And he said, you've lived a good life, but there was this one thing he asked you to do, and you knew it, and you didn't do it. And I have to say, every now and then, a mentor also holds you accountable and tells you things you don't want to hear. Right. And that was the moment where I said, you're 100% right. You were supposed to tell me that. And it was a, and ever since, it was 10 years ago, and it was to actually plant a church and to do something that I kind of didn't have time for and didn't think fit into my, my plan at the time. Hmm. And ever since, and while it's been, um, filled with ups and downs, it's been a huge blessing. And I know that's what he wanted me to do and Suzanne to do and our family, but at the time I didn't want to. So I think sometimes we may not hear him um, because he's saying, stay, do what you're doing. And other times we may not hear him because we're not listening. Uh, and it's helpful to have a, have a friend sometimes hold you accountable and say, you need to listen to that. I think that's great. As a side note here, uh, we've got our staff messaging back and forth saying that you're an amazing power couple and and this is so timely and kind and amazing. And so just to tell you, it's uh, our staff's loving it. They're blowing up, you know, blowing up my phone right now. With that. <laughs> Thank so, you, staff. Um, <laughs> that's great. 
No, it's great. And I'm sure everybody on the call here is thinking the same thing. So thank you. That's great. Um, I think that's wise. Um, what does it mean? Uh, you know, the Bible says to be equally yoked, um, you know, with people and relationships, particularly here, we look at this a lot in the aspect of marriage. Um, what does it mean to be equally yoked and why does, why does that matter? I laughed so much when I read that question. You can't really tell from this screen, but Glenn is like six, five and a half, and I'm five, four on a good day. So <laughs> being yoked to a man like him is really awesome. Yeah. Um, no, but in seriousness, I, I did think about that a little. Um, and I, I, we have always felt like, I hope I speak for both of us, that it's a privilege. And we have not, I don't think we hold each other accountable necessarily to always see the other one as equal. And what I mean by that is that God gives us all gifts, right? And we are all called into service through the gifts that he has given us. And no two people are the same, particularly not a husband and a wife. Um, sometimes from different planets, as we all have read. So um, I feel like Glenn and I are yoked together in the things that we share in that honestly are really fun, endeavors around family, uh, problem solving, conversation, lifting each other up when we're sad, because you do get sad. Um, you know, in those things, I feel like we're very yoked together and we're accountability partners to one another. But I don't think we have been fearful in our marriage to be separate in our endeavors also. And I think it's important to remind couples <laughs> that great. sometimes you have to divide to conquer. You just have to because he's a lot better and a lot more than I am. But then there are just certain things that aren't his both. And so I'm able to hopefully carry a little heavier load in, in those areas. So. Well, thank you. Um, I, I, that was good. I'm glad that this is being recorded. Um, so it is. I, I actually think that the ability to, in fact, have separate interests and do things apart is fundamentally resting on being yoked in the those core moment core core areas like your belief system mm -hmm. and in fact it you know there have to be pillars that are almost undeniable and unnegotiable and to me i think that's where true 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 life relationship has to start got to start with a commonality and a shared set of beliefs and principles that then enable you to in fact be apart or have different endeavors because you know that the decisions that that person will make are based on the exact same set of principles you have now that does not mean you agree on everything by the way let's just be clear um, you don't agree on everything but it does allow you to have a common set of a common set of values which I think is really 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 important but a, a, a fun, fun story. So when Suzanne and I were getting married, we were taking our, we were doing our pre-Cana course. And, and the gentleman who was marrying us was actually a family friend of Suzanne's uh, family. He was an ordained minister in Houston. 
um, Larry Hall, fabulous man, I put him in the in the mentor list. Um, and but I also had a, my own relationship with Larry because I'd known him um, through church in Houston. And Larry, they did the, they did the test. You fill out the bubbles and then they compare it. And Larry sat us down for one of our pre-cana sessions and he said, "So, listen, you guys are a perfect match. Everything fits perfectly. I just want you to know." There's just two small things you should pay attention to because you seem to have some reasonably different views on just two small topics, money and children. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> other than that, other than that, you guys are good. And, and, and I think just the reality that at that moment, one of the things that we did both want to do was have a faith be in the middle of our marriage. Mm -hmm. And I, if you've heard me allude to, and not, but I didn't come from that. My parents, um, we were not active churchgoers. My, my parents both had a belief, but it was not expressed in the way that we wanted to have in our marriage. And so the fact that that was something we discussed up front and we put it in the middle of our marriage, this was going to be important. And if there was one thing that we were certainly going to hold each other accountable to is that that's what's going to be in the middle of our marriage. I think that's what being yoked to an equal is about, as mm -hmm. opposed to having to agree on everything and do everything together and have all the same interests and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. And, and it, it's, uh, it, you know, as we, as we know that, that have been married for at least some time know that it's, it's almost impossible to agree on everything. And uh, so that's, that's great advice. I love that. Delving a little deeper into that, um, those principles you mentioned, because I think that's good because you're not going to be the same on everything, nor actually should you be, as, as your point is, Suzanne. Um, what are two to three important principles couples should agree on? And I think you mentioned, you know, one of those obviously being faith. What would you say the other principles would be? I hope we agree. I hope we agree. <laughs> um, if you don't, I that's okay. <laughs> I think, I mean, this sounds really silly, but I think you've got to have the other person's back, as our kids will say, got your back. Um, you just have to, I mean, there are times where it's very hard to parent collaboratively and you might be getting uh, pressure from work. You may not be, you may be underperforming in an area. You may not look your prettiest that day, you know, whatever it is. But I feel like with Glenn, he's always got my back. I've, ne I've never, ever, ever felt that regardless of the circumstance, he would not come to my rescue and defense. And I think that's an important one. So, and then I would, I would add that you can, you have to be able to call the other one out in a trusted way. And so what Suzanne has done for me, and I think it has been one of the key ingredients to staying level-headed is reminded me of what our priorities are when I begin to drift. And what do I mean by that? So I, I really do enjoy what I do and I really can throw myself at it with great gusto. Um, and she knows that about me. And it's something we've talked about through our whole life that, and I, and I think having a, having a life partner who will indeed say, you're out of bounds, and I'm telling you that not because I'm mad at you, but I'm telling you that because I love you. Mm -hmm. um, and that is true love. 
and finding a way to, in fact, have that accountability with each other and having true uh, uh, acceptability of your life partner playing that role, again, not out of anger, but out of love, is really, really important. And so I think that is absolutely one of the key principles. So it's the other side of the coin of I've got your back. Mm -hmm. It's the reality of saying, and I'm also going to tell you very clearly when I think you're out of bounds. Um, and so I think if you rest all of that in a shared, a shared faith, then those are pretty interesting ingredients. I mean, you kind of need to decide if you want to have one kid or four. Um, Suzanne, won. <laughs> Suzanne wanted to have one. I wanted to have more. Oh. We have four. <laughs> Not true. You, have to, you do have to sit down and decide, you know, what are the, how are we going to manage our budgets and what are we going to do? You know, all those things are real and you have to that. do them as a, as, a, as a partnership. But the reality is I think if you have each other's back, you're willing to make sure you can pull the other one back into the center of the road when they need to in a loving way and you have a faith in the middle of you. Those are pretty good ingredients. That's great. And you guys have four kids. Uh, can you give us the breakdown of, of boys, girls? I mean, I know this, but our audience doesn't. And how old are they? Age ranges. So, so four fabulous kids. Grant is just going to turn 23 next week. Uh, and he's graduating from Southern Methodist. Uh, and then Anna is 20. And she's just finished her second year at Duke. Yeah. John is 19 and he's just finished his first year at Notre Dame. And Thomas is 16 and he is, as he explained to us yesterday, a rising sophomore in high school. Um, great. So three boys, one girl. Um, Love it. And we are just blessed every day. I bet yeah, she's I really well taken to care have of. Scott, I really wanted to have a fifth. And Glenn said, the chance of having yet a fourth boy is too much for me to take on. <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I, I also explained her, I, I gave her the parenting pie chart, which uh, didn't really win any, any arguments, but I explained how there's a finite amount of parenting capacity. And if mm -hmm. we added a fifth child, we were going to have to subtract it from one of the other pie pieces. <laughs> and she looked at me and just said, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There you go. I love that. That's great. You guys have a beautiful family. They're amazing. Um, and, I, and I'll probably sideline you at some time to, to get the secrets on how to raise such great kids. So um, what role should young Christians give their faith in the workplace? Switching sort of gears a little bit here, um, particularly, particularly if it's a secular business environment. So this is probably the number one question I get from folks when we're talking about faith and business um that and you know how do i manage my career and how much of it should be my decision and how should i wait etc um you know faith in the workplace is not that complicated i don't think i think we make it much more complicated than it is um i think the my, my first piece of advice always is don't hide it just be yourself mm -hmm. um <laughs> You know, there's there's no there's no such thing as as a um, quiet hidden faith. I mean, we 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 we're called to actually be bright lights. And that doesn't mean we have to go around and evangelize in the workplace all the time. But we're called to be bright lights. And and mm -hmm. so 
I do think that the first thing I always say is don't hide it. Um, just be yourself. Um, second of all, I think we're also called to be servants. And the best way to actually express your faith in the workplace is to be really good at what you do and to do it in support of others. Um, I have just continually found, I mean, I've, I'm, as I said, I've been the same, same firm for 25 years and now I get to be co-CEO with, with another gentleman. And my day-to-day -day planning is around what am I doing to help my colleagues move forward in the agenda? Mm -hmm. um, and so I am constantly thinking about how do I actually serve the workplace? How do I serve my peers and my colleagues? And I've kind of always thought about it that way. Now there's a lot of, I've got, you know, I've got to get this done by here. I've got to get this done by here. I've got to get that done by here. And I'm not, I don't want to suggest not to, not to have that as a priority, but I think the two big things are one, don't hide it, be yourself. And, and second of all, recognize that faith in the workplace and being a Christian in the workplace um, is all about serving your, serving your colleagues, serving your employer and doing it in a way that allows you to, to bring glory. And, Absolutely. And that doesn't mean you have to step on people along the way. It's amazing. You can actually progress in the workplace by just being really good at what you do and doing it with great passion. <laughs> and you actually don't have to step on people and play politics and do all the things that don't feel right uh, in the That's workplace. That's good. That's a good word. I like that. Mm. Um, how do the responsibilities of leading either a business or a family change during a time of crisis? Okay. Well, it was interesting. We, we haven't talked about this one, actually. I'll be interested in, your, in what your thoughts are. But I think ours haven't changed mm -hmm. that much. I think that's the interesting twist here, is that if you are living in a rhythm whereby you're putting um, trust uh, in a higher power and you are um, doing the things that help you engage with Jesus both daily and weekly, simple things. I mean, going to church is a great example, but there's also exercise, having a meal with someone, conversation, taking care of your body, sleep. Um, and I feel like if you're in that steady rhythm, then when these crises come, you're just much better prepared. We had a really difficult year, um, kind of 2018, 2019, with uh, our daughter had major surgery. Mm -hmm. um, we lost really four family members within a kind of, 16 month time period. Um, we were separated physically because I was caring for our daughter at college. And anyway, was it stressful? Did I get some pimples on my chin? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I don't think we, we it, things broke down. I think we were able to keep on. And in this, in this um, current COVID-19 experience, we have I mean, never again will we have three college kids. And of course, they're all home. And we have seen so many silver linings. And I, I don't think it's been traumatic because thankfully we have been spared the hardship of either death, illness, and mm -hmm. or unemployment. Right. So we recognize that people are dealing with things that are unimaginable. 
and we, our hearts break for any of you all out there that are dealing with that. Um, but I would just say, I think crisis honestly is life. Mm -hmm. Life is a series of unexpected, very That's dynamic cool. moments. And if you can just be in a, in, in a rhythm and a place, uh, it's healthy. It's, you, you don't have to change that much. Yeah, I, I actually, that's really good. Uh, I think you're right. I, I, I would only add that I have found um, a, a little bit of guidance, particularly in having to lead an organization uh, at a time where the organization feels a fair amount of stress. I mean, we're an investment firm and, and the economy is stressed and we've got just under 1800 people around the world. And and we're worried about their health and they're all over the world and safety. And I know they're worried about their health and safety. And yet we've got responsibilities to take care of people's money, et cetera. That's, that's, that's got a lot of anxiety associated with it. And I've just found myself really ticking back to real basics, which really are, I guess, at the core of your comments, Suzanne, which are first listen and listen more than you might otherwise. Um, just listen. Um, Second of all, be truthful. Be truthful about the circumstances that we're in and that they're not perfect and they're pretty challenging and we don't wanna sugarcoat it. Third is have a plan, but we do have a plan. Uh, and we know, we know how we're gonna take on this challenge. And then finally, give people a real sense that it can be okay. And that's not a false sense of okay. That is a sense that if it is tough and we have a good plan and we hang together and execute well, it's going to be okay. No, it may not be perfect in it, but it's going to, it's going to turn out, it's going to turn out well. And I find that series of four things, listen, be truthful and honest, plan, and then talk about what good's going to look like and how we're going to get there. Um, to be a pretty simple, simple application of really a lot of what's the core of our own faith, which Absolutely. is, yeah. which is, you know, and I just, um, I'm just found myself reading a book today uh, of the last, last two weeks or three weeks. It's been longer than three weeks because I read a little bit every night uh, <laughs> and I fall asleep. Um, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just right now, I'm just right now at Christ's crucifixion and you know, I look back and boy, he listened and he told people he understood it wasn't great, but he had a really good plan and it's going to be okay. And I just think, what a leader, what a leader who gave us incredible, incredible um, demonstration of how to do it. I think that's it. That's so good. That's wisdom. And I know a lot of people will glean from that. Hopefully everyone out there wrote that down. I think those are things to, to live by, whether you're leading a family or leading a business or an organization. Um, so we're gonna transition to audience questions because we wanna make sure that everyone out there is able to, uh, to ask the, uh, the questions that they wanna ask of uh, Glenn and Suzanne. And so uh, make sure you go down there in the, the, uh, the Q&A box and put your questions in there and we'll get to the ones we can get to in the limited amount of time we have here. But the first question that we have from our audience comes from Eric. And Eric asks, what qualities do you look for in a mentor? You mentioned mentors earlier. What qualities right. do you look for? 
Well, good. Hi, Eric. And uh, I'll see you live maybe at some point. Um, so uh, my f really interestingly, my first, the first person I really identified as a mentor looking back uh, ended up being my very first boss. Um, and so I didn't choose this person as a mentor. I was actually gifted this person as a mentor. And I, the qualities I see in or saw in that person, I still do. You know, 20, that's more than that now. 30 years later, I still have a relationship with Rick. And, and, but the qualities that I cared most about him was he was, he was thoughtful. He was honest. He, he would express his concerns, both good and bad. Um, and he role modeled behavior that I really, really, really admired. Um, and he was willing to spend time with me. Um, now, and I will say he didn't always, it wasn't always good, good news. And when I, when I begin to string through great mentors, um, it's not somebody who tells you something you want to hear all the time. It's actually somebody more importantly, will tell you things you need to hear. Uh, and my story earlier about my friend Mac, um, was the exact same circumstance. And so I do think that it's, the person doesn't have to be older than you, the person does, but I think having someone who um, has some experiences so that they have a, a, a framework to help listen, somebody who's good at listening, somebody who is in a position to sit down and actually um, spend time with you and someone who cares about you, that's a pretty good formula. Um, but they do have to be honest and be willing to give you the bad news when the time is right. Yeah, and Scott, I'd just add to that that um, I think it also depends on your personality. So, um, lest anyone has been confused in this session, Glenn is quite the extrovert. So, he, no. he really? really draws <laughs> energy and, um, and is very encouraged in problem solving through engagement with other mm -hmm. people. He's, he's his best thinker when he's talking about things and working through things um, with groups and other people. So for him, mentorship is very relational and conversational. Mm -hmm. And um, my personality is a little different. And so I'm a little more of an observer. So for those of you who um, are not really willing to, to you know, very openly engage with someone on a regular basis, I would just encourage you to find one or two people in your lives whose general behavior and demeanor you're very drawn to and seek them out at those little moments of time where you just need some counsel. That may even be via text, which is, I, I default to that some, what would you do about this? Or can I call you real quick? So anyway, I just wanted to encourage people um, around mentorship because it can, it can take many different forms. No, that's great. That's great wisdom for both different types of personalities. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, this question comes from uh, one of our audience named Annie. And she says, how do you commit to your values or your relationships in times of discomfort and trial? So I think those are the times when you actually run into them most uh, boldly. Um, so I, 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 I wear this silly yellow thing on my wrist and you can't even see it anymore. Um, and I've kind of worn this for a number of years now. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it was given to me by, by uh, our, our former senior pastor at our church. And it used, to have the, it used to have the acronym on it, what to do when you don't know what to do. Hmm. Um, and of course, the answer is pray. Um, and I think, and as I've watched my, my own confidence in my own faith evolve over many years, uh, my comfort in stopping and asking for help is uh, more ingrained in my reactionary function. So when I was 23, like our oldest son, the idea of asking for help um, was pretty far down the list, whether it was help from the Lord or help from one of my friends or anything. I wanted to try to handle everything on my own because that was me. And I think as I've moved on, and maybe I've just gotten older, and therefore less energetic to go do things, everything on my own, I found myself much more open to stopping for a minute and figuring out how to get help. Um, and so in times of, of real challenge, uh, I think that I'm just more open today to stopping and asking for that help from a mentor or, or sitting down with Suzanne and saying, I need help. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just been, so it's really not running away from, from my faith, but it's actually running more boldly into it. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, we'll take uh, two more questions, and then th that'll be it for us today, just, uh, so just to be uh, cognizant of everyone's time here. Ben asks, what are some of the most influential books you would recommend for young leaders to read? So mine is, and I, I knew, I, I knew I should have looked up the author's name. So I'm so sorry. Maybe you can find it on Amazon. It's called Church of the Small Things. Mm. And it's written by a woman in San Antonio, Texas. And she's my vintage. So she's in her 50s. And it is so wonderful. And it reinforces a lot of what we've been talking about today, which is that um, Jesus's involvement in our lives so often is just down in these tiny little details. They're in the tiniest little bit of conversation you have with someone at your desk at work or the way that your husband or wife approaches a problem with you or, you know, whatever. But I would encourage Church of the Small Things. Hopefully you can find it on Amazon, but it's, it's awesome. And gives you a lot of encouragement that you don't have to be the co-CEO of a huge financial firm, even though we love that that you can really make a huge difference for Christ in mm. every single thing you do. So I don't have a single list. Um, I'm one of those people, I'm terribly guilty of reading, reading half of a book. In the same way. Um, yeah. I, I, Suzanne always makes fun of me because my night side, the, the table beside the bed has a stack <laughs> of half-read books on it. Yeah. Um, and, but I, 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 I find something in almost every book I read. What I do find candidly is most books, um, they kind of tell you everything you need to, you know, the, the book's about to tell you in the first two or three chapters, and then they say the same True. thing over again for the next 10. Yeah. Um, in, in these kind of think about these, these thoughts kind of books. Um, but I actually just like to, I like to constantly to take recommendations from friends and pick one up and crack it up and see how, see how it goes. Um, so I wish I had a better answer. I will say 
one of the things I do do every morning is I do enjoy quiet time. And in that quiet time, sometimes I will read a devotional. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I will have a series of emails that I've just stuck away that I really want to go read an article that I want to read. Um, that somebody said, this is really good thing for, you might find this interesting. And so I just keep a stack of stuff mm -hmm. that is a little stretching, a little different to read. Um, and sometimes it is a two page article and sometimes it's a book that somebody recommended, but I would just, I would, my only, my only thought there is don't restrict yourself to only doing your job and doing your work or reading the wall street journal in the morning and then doing your job and then boom, have a list of stuff that you're reading. It's just different. Yeah. That's good. The author's name is Melanie Shankle, S-H-A-N-K-L-E. And all of her books are hilarious and, mm -hmm. and really wonderful and incredible. And the title of the book again is? Church of the Small Things. That's great. And she's written a couple of different books. This was her most recent one, and I've read all of them, and they are just wonderful. That sounds wonderful. Very good. Well, uh, this is our last question. Um, Michael asks, how do you interact successfully with individuals of other faiths who are devout in their own beliefs, but they do not share yours? Very, I have to say very comfortably. Um, I, I, Great answer. I really do deeply, deeply respect people that have a belief system, whether it's mine or somebody else's. And I, I just find that my friends who are, who are Jewish or, or Muslim or um, Hindu or even atheists. I, you know, I, to me, I really enjoy folks having a relationship with folks and talking about stuff. And one of the, one of the things that I think sometimes people try to do is they avoid the topic um, if they don't agree on it. And that's not the way I am. I actually quite enjoy it. I was on the phone early this morning with, with, with some folks who have a different belief system, but they're in the middle of a religious holiday, and we talked about it. Uh, <laughs> I was curious. Um, so I guess my, my quick reaction is that, it's, again, it's part of being um, relational in life is that folks believe things different than you. Now, oftentimes they can believe things that are, that, 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 and you can get in an argument and a debate, and sometimes there's really, really, really emotional differences. And we can't turn on the TV today and not recognize that there is a real divide between what people see, believe, think. Um, and I just have to believe that with conversation, we can close that gap a bit, just a bit um, with folks. Um, with that said, I'm not about to say that my own principles are going to be compromised. I'm not going <laughs> right. to, I'm not going to press something that I don't believe and I'm going to defend what I do believe. And so, sure. and I think that's, that's a lot of folks get wildly emotional about that. I'm pretty comfortable with it. Um, and that would be my, my one thought there. I, I know that it's a very tough topic because people tend to get very emotional about defending their belief system. I have to say one of the great um, tools is there's a course called the alpha course. Mm -hmm. which we actually first experienced at Holy Trinity Brompton HTV in London. And it is a very, very popular course around the world. It's been uh, millions and 35 million people have done this course around the world. And it, to call it an introduction to Christianity is an understatement. 
but it is a wonderful course to explore life questions. Mm. And if you're a leader in, the, in an alpha course or a group leader, the only rule is you're allowed to ask questions, but you can't answer them. <laughs> and when you're sitting with a group of folks who are tr trying to explore faith and explore the meaning of life, um, who was Jesus and why did he live? What's the purpose of church? Is there sin? Um, and your role is to only ask questions, but you can't answer them. It's an amazing moment to recognize that to fully listen to somebody else's views is almost uh, as impactful as standing up, maybe more impactful than standing up and, and emotionally debating with them. But to truly sit there and listen to folks and the and I will never forget, quick story, I'm sitting there, Suzanne and I were on an Alpha course, we were in London, we were sitting there, and there was a gentleman in the Alpha course with us, and he had been in prison, and his girlfriend had brought him to this, and he looked at us, and he said, I have no interest in being here, I don't believe anything you all are doing, I just came here because she asked me to come, and Suzanne and I were the helpers in this and there was a very, very um, experienced gentleman leading this particular small group. And he turned around and by the end of the discussion, the guy was talking about his questions about faith and why it didn't work. And, and it was just absolutely miraculous to see how asking questions is so much better than stating answers sometimes. That's great. Yeah, I totally agree. I just feel like as you get older, I think, I hope everyone is blessed this way as I have is, um, is that I'm so much more comfortable now with this notion that it's 100% up to God to reckon with that person that I'm talking to, eating with, drinking with, running with. It's not my job to um, do anything other than treat them in the way that Jesus calls us into treating another person with dignity, respect, compassion. It's not always easy, but that's what we're called to do. And so I, I am, the older I get, the more I'm able to let go of this notion that just because they have a belief system in a different God or no God, that they are outside of the bounds of the universe that I've been called into mm. to be kind. So I think it gets easier as you get older. You put less pressure on yourself to, to worry about what they believe in. Just don't worry about it. Just know that they're a human being made in the image of made God the image. and yeah. you're called to be kind. I think that's great advice. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Glenn and Suzanne, for your friendship and for the generous gift of your time. Really, really, really thank you for your time today. I know that you're both very busy. Um, and I just wanna thank uh, the audience for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Uh, don't forget, uh, forget to join us next week as we host uh, New York Times bestselling author, Yossi Klein-Halevi. Uh, again, Glenn and Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, thank you, you for so having much. us. Have a great day. We love passages. Everyone stay well. Thank you. Bye. From Passages, this is Josiah McGee. If you have a topic you would love to dive deeper into, email me at josiah at passagesisrael.org for more information. Thanks for listening.